Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Go Local News and Social Artistry here on KOPN, your community radio station out of Columbia, Missouri, uh, where we have this diverse talk, and that's what we fit into. Music of the world. Uh, we're, we won't have music today, but boy, you know there's a lot of music on uh, KOPN of all kinds of uh, genres. So just go to the uh, program page and feast on all of the menu that's available. Uh, here on Glocal News, we get to talk to people that are building a more humane world from the inside out. And today, a friend of mine has consented to uh, join me here, uh, George Dillard from Hartsburg, Missouri. Uh, hi, George. Thank you for being with us. Hey, Dick. Good to be here. Thanks. <clears throat> yeah, George and I are on Zoom recording, and uh, this will air uh, on our regular time that you may be listening to on your radio right now, or maybe you're catching the podcast of it that uh, airs whenever you press on the button. Uh, again, go to the program page, look at local news and social artistry, and you can see uh, the last 25 shows that we've had up. Uh, so, Or go to Facebook, Glocal News and Social Artistry, and see some of the old shows that we've had over the years. Well, George Dillard, uh, I think we met at a coffee sometime down here in Jeff City. Uh, I'm not sure if it was with Bob Bolt or uh, with Kay Kosiski or, or just who we were with, but we've had lots of gatherings together. Um, you've been in Jeff City for how long? Or Hartsburg? Uh, yeah, uh, gosh, we've been here um, since 1990, 1990. So yeah. uh, moved from Colorado. <clears throat> um, but I've got to I've got to say quickly, I remember when I met you, <clears throat> This was back during the uh, Iraq invasion, and you were every every day at noon. You were waving your flag in front of the post office in Jeff City, and I saw you every day because I would drive through there. Um, and so one day, Bob and I walked down and met you in person. Oh, okay, great, yeah. <laughs> and it was—I uh, mean, I'd heard so much about you, and it was—it uh, all turned out to be true. So, uh, <laughs> absolutely, like it was great, right? Well, you know, there's kind of an interesting story behind some of that. Um, back in 2002, uh, the end of 2002, right at the beginning of 03, uh, I was doing some meditating. And I had a, a vision of a, um, a a big gathering at the Capitol, protesting wow. the war. Wow! And and along with that it seemed like there was some kind of a parade or, or march or something that got us there. And I didn't know what to do with it. But a friend of yours and a friend of mine, Stu Murphy, oh, yeah. I called Stu and I said, Stu, I, you know, I had this, I had this vision when I was meditating and I'm not sure what to do with it. And he said, uh, well, there's a person you need to call, call Barbara. And so uh, <laughs> I called Barbara. Two days later, there's a meeting of seven people around a table planning to do all the things necessary to get uh, the building arranged and the march and the speakers. And I mean, I just I just sat back and watched this vision take 
place right in front wow. of my eyes. And uh, Barbara and a friend of hers were doing a vigil on the corner there in front of the post office every Wednesday at noon. And I was uh, going to do this thing, this march and this, this uh, gathering. And then they were going to stop once the war started. But I said, well, uh, Ruth and I, we'll, we'll keep going. And so it was every Wednesday. Uh, at, I'm just kind of correcting. It wasn't every day, but it was the noon hour every Wednesday. And, you know, it's still going on right well, now. It, you know, uh, <clears throat> I tell you, Dick, your vision uh, applies to my life pretty directly because back during the Vietnam War days, uh, and it was the Vietnam War which radicalized me, incidentally, um, I, uh, I took part in a bunch of meetings like that. I was living in the D.C. area and part of this outfit called the Community for Creative Nonviolence. And I attended all the rallies in D.C. And as they grew in size, I attended the moratoriums, if you remember those. Uh, yeah. These brought together disparate peace groups, Quakers, old-time leftists, uh, new youth. I was then young. And there were estimates vary, but there were almost 500,000 people on the D.C. mall that day. Mm -hmm. It was the largest crowd I had ever seen or been in. And uh, took my breath away. Mm. Uh, for one thing, there was a united purpose, peace. Mm -hmm. And it didn't take too long looking at the Vietnam War to realize that peace was the answer and that war was not the answer. Mm -hmm. uh, so I engaged in all kinds of planning meetings and marches. Uh, one of my claims to fame is uh, I got tear gassed three oh. times. Oh. Different, different scenes because sooner or later, uh, the National Guard would come in or the cops. I was at the University of Maryland then and... Uh, they would go through this sort of pantomime of letting the people demonstrate. And so the students would come out. I was a student uh, and would have our half hour in the sun. And then the, the National Guard would move in. And if people didn't leave, we'd be gassed. Mm. Uh, it reminds me of uh, back during the, the Iraq days. Do you remember when the Bush administration set up the free speech zones for demonstrations where if there was a demonstration against the war, you couldn't be on the sidewalk, you couldn't be on the grounds of the speech or whatever. You had to be in this little fenced off area. Mm. Uh, uh, va vaguely remember that, yeah. Well, it was it was a, a really stupid. It was a absolutely indefensible uh, 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 move on their part. And I was uh, with Bob Bolt down at Westminster when Dick Cheney, one of the architects of that invasion, uh, was there. And so we were there protesting and the police sent us into this little backyard that was fenced in with cyclone fencing. And, you know, there were probably 200 people crammed in here and we're looking at each other. And uh, a professor from Westminster said, wait a minute, those sidewalks are public property. We can be on those sidewalks. We can be on the campus. And so we, we left our little free speech zone and went up and uh, managed to see Dick Cheney climb out of an enormous SUV, black, Mm -hmm. uh, wearing a black hat and a black jacket, uh, very creepy. And uh, he came in and gave his stump speech. Um, I, if you remember, that <clears throat> presentation was a little bit controversial because uh, Cheney had arranged it with the university, the college, uh, claiming he was going to make a groundbreaking speech about the war. Mm -hmm. All he was making was another stump speech for the Bush-Cheney administration and the mm -hmm. re-election. Uh, it was all a hoax and a fraud like so much of those people. 
Uh, and the president of the university was quite upset with that whole uh, scene at that time. Uh, yeah, he wrote a public letter to the paper, I think, and other places because because of that. It, it, it was uh, it was disrespectful of the university. It was disrespectful of the president. It was disrespectful of the people. It was disrespectful of truth. You know, these are people who would lie. Uh, over, there's nothing they would not lie about. I, I don't understand people without some kind of moral compass, but they sure seem to lack one. Well, we are familiar with how lies uh, got us into the Iraq War and how lies got us into the Vietnam War and uh, in, in a bigger way than would, would have happened otherwise. Uh, so uh, uh, we've been, what, uh, some people have been fooled, I guess you would say, um, in a way that uh, cost many, many lives and still has repercussions every day. Uh, yeah, in the world, you know, you know that that Mark Twain thing. Um, how does the quote go? Uh, Nobody is harder to convince than someone who won't admit he's been fooled. Something like that, because there's ego attachment there, and people don't like to admit they've been fooled, and uh, so they they will they will struggle against it unconsciously. Any kind of bringing of the light, these wars especially. I uh, uh, it was so plain to all of us and. Uh, right before the invasion of Iraq was the largest peace march in the history of the planet. Right. All around the world. Yeah, yeah. all around the world. Right. And uh, we were right and they were wrong. And we knew that going in. And all the lies in the world wouldn't cover that up. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was absolutely ghastly mess. And uh, I, I'm sorry for the people of Iraq, everybody, really. Mm -hmm. The soldiers, I mean... Uh, but I, you know, I don't know. We do what we can do. I don't know why um, these lessons are difficult to learn. They seem pretty straightforward to me. I mean, well, you uh, you went to college there in Maryland uh, as an English major, right? Literature, right? So you're familiar with English literature and story after story after story of our the the culture that's that have preceded us. Um, and you're looking at uh, at history. Do you see a lot of change in our morality, for instance? Um, you know, I guess it's, uh, it's, it's moving at a glacial pace. Uh, maybe that's the way change happens. Uh, it, uh, it, it's, uh, it's unfortunate for me, uh, I think particularly because I went through this change I went through a kind of transformation as a young person uh, that was profound. And it happened, I mean, in the space of a week, it would feel like. Mm -hmm. When I started understanding, uh, you know, the nature of the civil rights movement, the nature of our culture, I was really young and I had been taught all this stuff that I found was not true. It mm -hmm. was not so. And I had to unlearn uh, all of this stuff that was covering up the true nature of our culture. Um, and uh, and so I did, and mm -hmm. and I don't I I wonder why people at large don't do that when it becomes so self evident. Uh, but uh, so, do you attribute some of that to your what we'll call the liberal education that you get when you go to college, and you have to take all these courses you didn't necessarily feel like you had wanted to take, but uh, they opened up little 
pieces of windows for you or is, is um, was it just the experience of the, what the world was throwing at you it, it it started with my own experience of my own nature and uh i had been a regular kid uh a regular uh 20th century american guy and uh somehow I went through this transformation when I saw that all of this violence that was inherent in our culture and in me didn't have to be there. And I was shocked that I had bought into this system, uh, which had so much, uh, which brought so much pain into the world. And so I changed and I, I became a, uh, uh, a person who campaigned for peace, organized for peace mm -hmm. uh, and all those things. But the first thing I did mm -hmm. in the name of peace was become peaceful. You know, and uh, uh, all that stuff applies not only on the geopolitical level, but on your interpersonal level as well. Not only the interpersonal level, but as part of this fantastic, unbelievable planet that we're on. We are part of this incredible web, as you know, and I face that uh, with a peaceful countenance. Um, it's part that's behind my vegetarianism. It's uh, uh, It's behind the way I've lived and treated people. It's behind my job. I mean, I became a librarian because I thought this was something that would uh, suit me, that I could do it well, and I would bring this message of hope and peace uh, to people at large by exposing them to books, the great mm -hmm. literature of the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I was an English major, but, but I was actually a double major in philosophy because those are the only courses I took. This was a different time when people didn't go to college as a kind of vocational technical school, but we went to become um, understanding, sophisticated people. And that takes study of your past, uh, the present. Uh, it takes study uh, of your, your, your situation or your culture from a lot of different points of view. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that's how I proceeded. Uh, really worked for me. I mean, I was, I was right at home at it. The, the, the librarian part, I got a master's degree in, uh, in uh, librarianship. Mm -hmm. uh, because I needed to make my way in this world. And I was, at the time, a, a kid uh, starry-eyed with peace and love. And <laughs> uh, it seemed to be working for me, but, you know, I, I was approaching my graduation and I wasn't sure what to do. Um, so I got a job and I got a job at the campus library and a degree in uh, uh, library science. And that's what I've done for 40 years. 40 years. In fact, yeah, wow. my, I was 19 when I got that job and uh, I retired when I was 60. So all those right. years I was in either academic or public libraries. I was in Boulder. Uh, I was at University of Maryland. I was at Colorado Springs. I was at William Woods. I was uh, hmm. Daniel Boone. Uh, you know, I just went around career building or something. Uh, <laughs> I, will. I mean, <laughs> it just sort of happened. Uh, but it was cool. And I was glad for every moment. Yeah. So uh, did you grow up in Maryland or you just went to the University of Maryland from wherever your home? No, I grew up there. I was born in Washington, D.C. And when I say Maryland, I mean the D.C. area. Yeah. Uh, College Park, where I went to college and lived for a long time. It's just a few miles up down Route 1 from the border and uh, the border, the <laughs> line of D.C. Um, uh, yeah. But I... all, the, all the cultural stuff happened downtown, you know, I, uh, not only the, the, the war stuff, but uh, films. Mm -hmm. theater. I mean, the, the Royal Shakespeare Company came and played the Kennedy Center. Who was going to miss that? Uh, yeah, right. Kinds of things. Yeah. Um, 
I had a tour of duty at Bethesda Naval Hospital. So wow. that, that was my introduction to that area, really. Um, and uh, one of my patients uh, invited me, he was a captain or something, uh, invited me to his uh, family home uh, to meet his wife and kids in Silver Springs, Maryland. Oh, wow. And we would, I'd go there many weekends. Uh, yeah. So so different to have someone that you've been helping to heal, then turn around and say, hey, uh, come visit us uh, if you're free this weekend. You know, it was a really good experience. Oh, that's cool. Uh, it's a good synchronicity. I uh, spent a lot of time at Bethesda Navy Hospital. Uh, my father was there for a long time. Uh, hmm. Uh, uh, struggling with some some health issues, oh. uh, so I would come in and out. And uh, oh, he wasn't man. he wasn't an admiral, was he? <laughs> no, but he was uh, he was a uh, <laughs> he was a West Point graduate, oh. and uh, and uh, he was a doctor. So he was a captain in the public health service. Oh, I think his okay. rank might have been major. I forget. Mm -hmm. yeah. But the public health service is a uniform service, um, and my father had this white uniform. Uh, it looks like something out of a, a movie. Uh, he already ever wore it, but uh, that's why he was there because he he would receive care from them because he was part of a of a uniformed service, the right. public health service. Right. Yeah, I was a hospital corpsman with the Navy, and uh, I remember the this poor guy had been it was a pilot, and he had been shot down in, in Vietnam, and uh, had shrapnel wounds. Oh, wow. and, and I never should have said it to him, but I, I said, wow, you're the first one I get to give a shot to. <laughs> uh, I never forget the, you know, the look on his face when he said, oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I did get to uh, give some orange juice to Hubert Humphrey. There, wow. That's my big, you know. Big deal in the Navy. <laughs> well, that's that's notable. I mean, Hubert Humphrey. Uh, uh, my equivalent experience was uh, smoking pot with Allen Ginsberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that really really is equivalent. I can see the comparison. <laughs> At the time, it seemed like the thing to do. Um, uh, was that in the city? Um, <clears throat> that was actually at the University of Maryland. Hmm. We'd come through on a uh, on a speaking tour and he spoke at Maryland <clears throat> mm -hmm. and that's why all this stuff happened I mean people were sort of hovering around him and they started passing joints mm -hmm. uh, it was sort of symbolic and and all of that peace uh, pipe yeah yeah peace pipe and it was long ago too I mean for me that's a long yeah. time ago. Uh, sure. curious, curiously enough when I moved to Boulder I attended the uh, Jack Kerouac Jack Kerouac school for disembodied poetics at Naropa and uh, Alan had co-founded Naropa with uh, Ann Waldman and some other folks. Uh -huh. Yeah, so, I saw the the name Naropa on uh, on a LinkedIn page that you had put up some time back. Oh yeah, and I wasn't yeah. I wasn't familiar with Naropa. Yeah. Well, I uh, it's one of the reasons I moved to Boulder. Uh, it's the first fully accredited uh, Buddhist college in North America um, at the time, and this is years ago. Uh, Naropa Institute was in this small set of offices in downtown Boulder. It was hilarious. I mean, classes would meet after hours, and during the daytime, the, the rooms would be used for some other commercial purpose. Um, wow. That was but in cool. the meantime, Naropa really blossomed, and 
they bought an old school and a huge campus, uh, doing really well. So I'm happy for that. Those were those were good times for me, and uh, I, I met a lot of really fascinating people with uh, with with deeply formed worldviews. I guess we could say. Well, let me come back to that as soon as I reintroduce you, George. Uh, and say hello, uh, listeners, wherever you might be listening today to Glocal News and Social Artistry here on KOPN, your community radio station out of Columbia, Missouri. Uh, almost 50 years old. We're hanging in there. Matter of fact, we're, we're kind of taking some quantum leaps forward with our new building and uh, uh, new boards and new executive director. And uh, uh, things are really, really picking up and looking great. And we appreciate all your support, uh, however you give it or share it with others uh, in your conversation, uh, in your donations, in your programming, uh, or any way that you can help us out uh, and have done that so generously in the past. So thanks for listening today and whenever you get to tune in uh, to your favorite shows. My guest today on Glocal News is George Dillard, D-I-L-L-A-R-D of Hartsburg, Missouri. Uh, been in the library uh, business, we'll say, for 40 years. Uh, sometimes, uh, what were some of the various uh, roles that you played in the library, George? Um, well, I, I, I covered all of them. I mean, I started as a young shelver and, and uh, I became a public services coordinator and all this stuff, but my uh, my real interest, uh, I guess I kind of like to, to change the focus of our talk and uh, uh, go back to uh, why I became a pacifist. And, oh, cool. Oh, well, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, because that's, that's the order and happened to me. I became a pacifist as a young man. In order to make a living in our society, I became a librarian because I had to do something meaningful. Mm -hmm. uh, and by then, I was sort of sworn to the uh, the idea uh, in Buddhism as right livelihood. Uh, I wanted to do some kind of work that contributed to the community that I could that would fit with me, but that was also morally um, defensible or morally pure and. Uh, Library world seemed like that to me. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I couldn't have worked for Raytheon, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have joined the military. And uh, I was drafted and I just told them no. I, by then I wasn't going to have anything to do with that. And the reason was I adopted this. I found my way into this worldview of uh, peace, uh, compassion, forgiveness, uh, all of these uh character traits that seem so obvious and so simple, but uh, are really a demanding discipline if you actually try to perform them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so that's what I spent my time doing, adapting my, my, my lifestyle to my vision. Mm -hmm. And that vision was made in, in part by great works of literature. I, I spent a lot of time reading the, uh, the holy books of the, of the religions of the world, mm -hmm. uh, introduced there by uh, Houston Smith, Right, uh, Harvard professor of uh, world religion, uh, who uh, who taught at Central Methodist College for a while, right? right? Bayette, Missouri. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He's an absolutely charming guy, and uh, uh, I've read all his books and stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. um, so but he he and this all this all this contributed to uh, 
to my understanding of this sort of awakening I had that I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And I, I, uh, it was, it was sort of like, um, a flash of light. And in that flash was so much information or so much stuff just packed mm-hmm. that it took me a while to unsort it and saw what matched up with what. Mm-hmm. And that's what led me to the world religions. I, uh, you know, I read the Bhagavad Gita, I read the Way of the Tao, uh, I read uh, the Koran, I read uh, uh, the Western Judeo-Christian Bible. Uh, I, was, I was looking for things that might correspond to what I was seeing in the world and understood in a, in the, in a, in the, in a proper way, those books all helped me do that. Mm-hmm. I was oh. one of those people that had, had uh, dropped out of religion as a, you know, a cynical teenager oh really uh, mm-hmm. well yeah and uh I, I i was raised in the episcopal church and my parents didn't seem to really believe it but they would go and uh i thought after a while you know this isn't real mm-hmm. uh and i quit i dropped out of the church and i came to this understanding that allowed me in retrospect to look at the christian judeo-christian uh uh way of thinking in a new light Mm -hmm. and this new light seemed to apply to everything for me Mm -hmm. Uh, and one of the things that showed this new light was that war is not the way we solve human conflict that violence is not a proper uh attitude to take toward your your brothers and sisters who are many Mm -hmm. and uh, i don't mean just humans i mean that's the time i stopped eating meat that's the time i tried to walk as softly and as gently as I could uh, Mm -hmm. because uh, the world is though infinitely strong, also infinitely fragile. Yeah, indeed. We learn more every day about that. Yep. Right. I'm curious uh, because of my experience, uh, you said that you got drafted and you just said no. Uh, Was that uh, effective? You just said no or? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> those people are not your friends. <laughs> um, no, I just, uh, I knew in my heart I wasn't going to go. Uh, I was behind in my credits as an undergrad, so that's why I, I got drafted. I lost my U.S. deferment. But uh, I faced it moment by moment. I didn't know what to do. Uh, uh, I, I talked to a draft advisor who said, uh, uh, you should go to Canada. Uh, but anyway, I showed up for my... Uh, I was uh, ordered to show up at Fort Hollibird in Baltimore. I got the uh, the full physical thing, um, which was itself fascinating and strange because here were all these young men uh, uh, standing in line to be poked and prodded by this system mm-hmm. that was just chewing us up. But there was a, a, a really uh, shocking aspect of it. Some of the guys, people of color, uh, poor white people, uh, some of the people wanted to go mm-hmm. because being in the military would rescue them from a terrible home situation of one sort or another. Uh, so that, so I, uh, I try to, to remember respectfully to, to, uh, to think of them because uh, I wasn't going to go. And uh, the guy right in front of me had starved himself so that he flunked the, uh, the weight test. Um, luckily I, I discovered thanks to the U.S. military, that I, I have high blood pressure or had it. Mm-hmm. And that's what kept me out. Oh, you know, wow. I blood pressure part of the exam <laughs> and I flunked it. And he tried several times hoping to get me in there. But uh, 
no, and uh, I actually dodged a bullet there. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what I would have done. I'd, I'd probably go to Canada in all truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I'm glad you, you shared that story. Appreciate it. Well, yeah, it was a fascinating thing for me to experience. Yeah. You know, so many people um, in more recent times uh, have, uh, it's a question I actually that I've had throughout this whole radio show uh, series of five years now, um, wondering uh, with my guests, what brings about that change, that uh, questioning, the self-inspection, um, you know, where you take an inventory of yourself, because it seems that it's somewhat rare for people to do that. And you said that you had an experience, you, you went to church with your family and they didn't really believe, but somehow, somewhere there, you started to seriously question. And it, how did, do you recall anything about how that was triggered? Uh, um, any specific events? It's really hard to say, Dick. Uh, part of it was, uh, by then I was meditating regularly. Oh. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I, I felt myself in my youth uh, searching for for what could be true. And at this time in the United States, uh, our culture was filled with different groups and and just pushing for change every which way. Uh, the 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 Hare Krishna people had a presence on campus every single day. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, almost everything I was reading in what's called great literature. Um, it's great because it's actually meaningful. You know, it's not something that you take out to uh, to torture high school kids with. <laughs> you know, I was reading Thoreau and Emerson, and I realized Emerson, for example, as a, a good Western uh, visionary, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, saw the uh, transcendent nature of our world. And what happened to me was I, I began to realize that that's what I was experiencing. I was uh, experiencing a level of transcendence that took me by surprise. And it mm. started when I started to pull away from the uh, the characteristics of our culture that seemed to me uh, counterproductive at best and absolutely odious at worst. Mm -hmm. uh, it started with the war and uh, civil rights. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it was absolutely staggering to me the way the racism in this country seems to govern everything. and. Uh, I just uh, so I started to look back and I stepped back and look more objectively. I thought it was objective, but what I found was I was stepping into this arena that was uh, much, much larger than our culture and our time. It had more to do with uh, the nature of life on Earth, the very existence of Earth, the nature of reality itself. And uh, somehow or other, um, these uh, these questions rose out of my my vision in that regard. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to describe. It's a, uh, it's sort of like um, I encountered uh, in, in the Lakota language, there's this phrase, uh, Wakan Tonka. Wakan Tonka, Tonka. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's translated variously, but one uh, uh, translation that really jumps at me is uh, great mystery. Mm. You know, not great uh, spirit, but great mystery. And, mm -hmm. uh, 
I apologize for for using someone some other culture's uh, uh, hermeneutic, whatever you call that. Uh, mm -hmm. But I saw it that way. I mean, I saw it as a great mystery, and uh, out of that mystery grew all these fantastic, uh, unforeseeable uh, truths. And it was things like uh, violence is not a solution, mm -hmm. and things like we share this planet with other life forms, uh, and uh, a host of insights came from that particular uh single source and and that's what i'm talking about i i spent a lot of time exploring where that came from and how is it that so many cultures seem to have this kind of um, um point of view mm -hmm. well and and at the same time so many cultures have war and uh yeah. and end up fighting over um I mean, even uh, you think of Rwanda and how these people grew up side by side for centuries, it seems. And then you have a little culture invasion from the north and they start thinking about themselves differently. And uh, uh, yeah, you know, I know, I know, Jake, to say nothing of uh, uh, the, the Western Western uh, settlers and colonialists who went down there and just took everything they wanted and killed anybody who got in the way. I know how grim it is. I, I truly do. I know how we've been violent. All I know is um, I'm not going to be violent. And right. I can't I can't force anyone to agree with me or be like me, but this is the way I'm going to be and this is the way I've been yeah. for my entire adult life. Yeah. Well, I have uh, heard, and you know, I was in Jeff City when you were working at uh, Missouri River Regional Library, right? And and I I didn't know that you were uh, that you had a following of people based on uh, some programs that you were doing um, with movies uh, and books uh, gatherings and all of that. All of that. Um, yeah. That uh, uh, the way I uh, I justified that at work was I was making the public library a uh, public gathering place, mm -hmm. and to that end, I started a uh, book groups. I started a philosophy group, uh, and I hosted these groups as well. And I started a a, a, a meeting uh, called Reader's Eye, where we would uh, read a book and then see a film and talk about it, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I found out that, that the people of Jeff City were starved for this kind of thing. Uh, it uh, again, in my in my defense at, at work, uh, my, my proposal was that I'm I'm I am trying to address a population that the library loses: educated adults. You know, we're good uh, with kids. We're getting teen centers, uh, this and that. But so educated adults, and so uh, we'd read serious books. I, um, the the world philosophy thing. Uh, was fascinating because since I was choosing the books, we read uh, Sufi literature. Uh, we read, um, oh man, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, was one of our readings. Uh, uh, one of my favorite was William James, uh, Varieties of Li Religious Experience. Mm -hmm. Because uh, in fact, that single book uh, helped me understand my own point of view uh, right away. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, William James was a fascinating guy, you know, the father of psychology here in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, he says, our normal waking consciousness is but one of many, many levels of consciousness, all separated by the filmiest of veils. Ooh. And I found that to be true. 
the filmiest of veils. And and uh, I had been raised uh, in, in a pretty circumscribed con- uh, consciousness that was, you know, uh, this is what you do in our society and you do this uh, and then you become, you have a career and you grow old and die. And, uh, and I discovered that 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 focus and that consciousness was so narrow um, that through the filmiest of veils, there was available unto you something that just started with the infinite cosmos and rose from there. Uh, and it goes directly to this, this idea of the great mystery. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the more you read about the physical nature of our, our situation, with um, galaxies speeding away from each other at fantastic speeds, um, 100, 100 to 400,000 stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone, uh, all of that can take your breath away. Uh, but there's something even, even heavier than that uh, to me, is that as a human being, uh, in the face of all that, do something kind, do something peaceful, do something loving, and, and that gesture uh, resonates through all those uh, levels. Uh, that, that kind of, a, as we said earlier, that kind of thing is so simple and, and plain to, to say, uh, but it is so difficult to actually perform as a life discipline. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, very encouraging, though, because um, it's extremely rewarding. And, you know, just uh, walking around the trees here where I live, um, feeling the kinship I have and we all have with the trees and the bugs and the birds and all of it, you know, we're, we're all one. That's the, that's the, the central, the central statement uh, I'd probably like to make. We're all one. And uh, let's start acting like it. Ah, and that would mean that if we don't believe that, um we might want to question why why don't we believe that yeah um you know there's a there's a a quote and i'm going to go biblical on you and uh, do uh, do the jesus quote uh he said in a prayer father make them one as you and i are one and love in this whole prayer becomes sort of the foundation of how you do that. And uh, so this oneness is is part of a Christian tenet, but we see so much separation in, uh, in many religions, not just in Christianity, but uh, even in Islam, there's, and Judaism, there's so many different um, sects and and uh, points of view. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I love that uh, that Jesus quote. Uh, John seventeen. <laughs> well, yeah. I know good... you know. I know you know your Bible. I, I grew up in uh, in the Episcopal Church in, in Western culture, so I got all the, the the Bible school and I did all the readings. It's just that they didn't, it seemed to me that the people there weren't applying those readings to their lives in the way that they they ought to be replied yeah, uh, applied. Yeah. And it, one of one of my favorite uh, uh, statements of Jesus also is, uh, uh, "Whatsoever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me." Yes. If you revere this person, this Jesus, 
-hmm. Whatever you do unto the least of them, you mm -hmm. do unto him. That's mm -hmm. what he's saying. That's a magnificent statement. Mm -hmm. Absolutely magnificent statement. You know, it's like you you revere me and you love me. Uh, but when was the last time you helped your neighbor when he needed something? You know, when was the last time you were decent to the people at work? Mm -hmm. uh, all those, you know, that statement is not not uh, Jesus bloviating some kind of philosophical. No, he's giving us a really meaningful instruction yeah. on how to live together and uh, and also uh, begin to pierce those veils mm -hmm. that keep us from higher awareness and higher consciousness. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I'm saying, it's easy to say, forgive your neighbor. And it's easy to say, uh, show compassion for the poor. But you need to really do those things yeah. for them to work. Mm -hmm. And if you do them, you find out that you actually get some kind of reward you weren't anticipating at all. And uh, that's nice, but that's not your motivation. You know, your primary motivation going in is to actually put some good into the world uh, mm -hmm. that needs it so much. Yeah. Yeah, I was just at a celebration of life uh, this week for Jack Renner, a, a dear friend and a fellow actor and director Ooh. in Jeff City for so long. And uh, Steve Nelson, a, another local minister, uh, gave part of the presentation. And he was saying, you know, this kind of sounds like Jack. And he was quoting <laughs> Jesus saying, you know, don't just love those that uh, love you, but uh, you need to love your enemies too. And, uh, you know, with such that whole series of thought in in those statements that Jesus makes early on in the book of Matthew and and uh, others is, is it was turning people on their heads because they had never looked at things that way and uh, I think it still can turn people on their heads if they really hear those words and say this this is what we need to do this is yeah. And we can do it. We we don't fall on this. Uh, oh, I'm a sinner and I can't do these things. Say, no, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, great. You no, know, um, uh, I really hear you. Uh, turn things on their heads. You know that uh, the uh, the kind of thing I was talking about in my youth uh, after I dropped out of the church uh, uh, and. Uh, then came back later studying different aspects of the world's religion. Um, Jesus was, since I grew up as a, as an Episcopalian, I was most familiar with the new Testament uh, and things like the sermon on the Mount. Uh, I had thought of as simple, empty platitudes. And in my, in my mature being, I saw, no, these are descriptions of an exacting discipline yeah. to, uh, to, to, to be merciful to those who aren't merciful to you, to love those who uh, to hate you, to uh, um, to go back again and again peacefully and not uh, violently. Uh, and then, I, and that's when I saw the profundity of that teaching, uh, which is still to this day uh, powerful and true for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh Let's go back to some of your uh, meetings and your movies uh, that that sort of captivated a, a cadre of people that still talk about those gatherings and still have a, a curiosity and excitement for uh, 
learning more uh, that you yeah. You know, actually, after I retired, I did a, a I continued that program at the Unitarian Church for a while. Um, but yeah, those nights at the library were really, really stunning. And um, what happened was uh, uh, after we would see a film, uh, we would break into a circle. And usually we had about 20 people or so, 15 or 20, uh, sometimes more, sometimes less. But then we would talk it out. And uh, my role was... Um, facilitator you know mm -hmm. i was not the discussion leader i was sort of the host mm -hmm. but my 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 job was to keep the discussion going mm -hmm. and uh i'm not kidding people are starved for that kind of mm -hmm. dialogue mm -hmm. you know meaningful meaningful talk about something uh, that's meaningful to you and uh it was fascinating because the film whatever film it was we saw great movies old movies uh in between movies mm -hmm. uh, the film became a kind of portal into this deep understanding that we would form uh, in the subsequent discussion. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I would go out, we had some really long nights uh, because I was a manager at the library, we could stay late and uh, I'd be locking up and leaving, going to my car at midnight. Wow. And uh, my mind was just glowing with uh, <laughs> the way that people came to these understandings and the way people uh, talked with each other and helped each other. and. Uh, it's absolutely uh, uh, stunning mm -hmm. human endeavor, you know. I, and it started out as a program at the library, and it came became something so deep for me and for others. It became more of a uh, almost a spiritual exercise mm -hmm. uh, because any point of view was was available. Any point of view was okay, mm -hmm. and let's talk about it. And what do you think? And what do I think? Uh, some very uh, uh, lofty moments <laughs> uh, in those discussions, I must say. Well, you and I were talking recently, and I thought I heard you say that uh, you may pitch a similar kind of a program to either the library in Ashland or the library in Columbia. I wasn't clear. Uh, did I well, hear I that correctly? It. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've thought about it. Uh, I know I know I could do it, and I would be uh, I know it'd be a uh, a good thing. Uh, but the thing of it is, I uh, I live out here in the middle of the woods. You know, I'm in I'm in the middle of 50, 55 wooded acres mm. uh, on Jimerson Creek Road, and uh, uh, right now my schedule is so odd. Um, I'm somewhat nocturnal, and I'm going for walks at night, uh, <laughs> and so it'd be hard for me to. I don't really want to adjust that yet in order to get back in sync with the consensus culture, uh, you know, like. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. Understandable. It, I guess we kind of uh, listen for the right time of things. There you go. There you go. Yeah. There are timings in the world. And yeah. And, that, you know, th those timings are real. I mean, uh, it sounds sort of mysterious, but uh, there's something to that, you know, this this Jungian idea of synchronicity, uh, the idea that you meet your teacher uh, when the time is right. Mm -hmm. uh, all these things uh, in our lives seem to come together. Um, and it, it's always uh, caused me to realize that there's something afoot here, here <laughs> in our level of reality, there's something afoot. Or as Einstein said, something deeply hidden. Uh something deeply hidden and uh i think we can catch glimpses of it 
but it's kind of like seeing lightning strike across a far hill. You see this pale light, which you know that light itself at its source is uh, too bright to, to uh, behold. Yeah. Nice analogy. Yeah. Well, I, I've actually gone walking in thunderstorms and, oh. and there came to me. <laughs> and uh, I've seen that heat lightning or so-called sheet lightning at night. And mm. uh, it's very it's very apt for this point, I think. Yeah. Um, so with this uh, nocturnal experience that you're in, immersing yourself in, um, is this something that somebody suggested to you or you have just sort of uh, acquired a feel for it? I, it's something I, I acquired a feel for. Uh, we really do live here out in the woods and uh, you can see the, the vague light of Jeff City sort of as a kind of distant glow, but uh, it's pretty dark. And uh, I spent a lot of time stargazing. And uh, uh, it wasn't it wasn't the stargazing with an astronomer's eye, or I wasn't interested in the uh, uh, constellations and how they were constructed. Uh, I wasn't interested in scientific facts about the stars, although that's fascinating in and of itself. Mm -hmm. I was uh, coming to experience the depth of the human situation. And here I was uh, in the middle of the woods going out for a walk and uh, I become came uh, increasingly uh, open to what was around me, the stars and the trees. My dog, Petey, would always come with me on these walks. Oh, cool. And it was extremely rewarding, so I shifted my schedule. At, at the worst, I did this for years, Dick. I would get up at midnight, oh, have my. a cup of coffee, and head out. And oh I would bundled up in snow and, and cold temperatures. I would I would go out. If I had a full moon in the wintertime, I could walk through our trees uh, uh, because you can see enough with the moon. Mm -hmm. And every step, every step was transcendent. Every step was uh, <laughs> deeply meaningful to me. And and I, as I was taking those steps, I wasn't thinking that. I wasn't, I was experiencing this in this uh in this way that that my physical activity stopped being sort of uh, an exercise and became a meditation. Meditation, so, right? Uh -huh. It was a, yeah. at toward toward the end of, of all those nights, uh, I got to where I could uh, step outside my door with all the lights off and be among those trees and instantly be in that place. It just came to me naturally, and uh, yeah. wow, yeah, it's uh, unforgettable and. Absolutely true and absolutely mundane. Uh, but as we know, that nothing is mundane. There is not a single mundane moment in our lives. I mean, it was very sacred. It was sacred. It yeah. was sacred. And and oh man, one of my favorite words, sacred. Mm -hmm. It was sacred. Uh, it's kind of like uh, the great uh, comparative religion philosopher John uh, Houston Smith. He entitled his memoir. Uh, in pursuit of the one, no, in search of the wonder, uh, in pursuit of the divine. Mm -hmm. And I love the way Houston says that. It's a pursuit. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're walking out into spaces uh, in the place of the sacred. We're pursuing the divine. But it's not a, it's not, you, you never arrive. You know, your, your, your practice is the pursuit. And uh it's not like you come around a corner and you think, oh, yeah, it's all settled. I'll just stay here now. Right. 
It continually unfolds. I I went through a period of reading uh, quantum theory and some of these quantum uh, uh, physicists Mm -hmm. because they seem to speak about this too. And they talked about it in a different way, but it's curious in our world, uh, as we look out from the planet Earth, we see our solar system, our galaxy, galactic clusters. Uh, And when we look down within to the micro level, we see cells, molecules, atoms, subatomic particles. What else? You know, the latest theory of these quantum guys was it was tiny vibrating little strings. And uh, well, I mean, really, they they don't know what else to call it. And Mm -hmm. my my feeling was it's more like uh, an ever opening lotus. It's like a blossom and you'll get down to the strings. And if you look closely enough, there'll be another level below the strings Mm. and below that and below. And likewise, above our solar system, above our galaxy, above and beyond our galactic cluster. Uh, It just it it, to me, it's infinite in in both directions and uh, the macro and the micro. And we happily have a kind of consciousness that's right in the middle and we can explore either way. Well, George (laughs) Dillard. (laughs) My friend from Hartsburg, Missouri, uh, this is the kind of uh, conversation that I feast on. Uh, I love that we can get together for coffee, uh, not every week sometimes, but uh, pretty often and uh, share ideas and share books and and, uh, things that we do. And uh, I I just, we have just hardly a minute left and I I just, want to thank you for being your uh, peaceful self. <laughs> uh, and thank you, Dick. I have to say, your, uh, your presence alone at the coffee groups or here, your presence alone contains volumes of uh, <laughs> wisdom. Well, we're the, the we're the mutual admiration society here. Okay, <laughs> so, sorry, folks. Uh, you know, it just happens to be that way, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, So I will say uh, once again, thank you, George, and folks that are listening, thank you for your uh, tuning in to Glocal News and Social Artistry. And remember, wherever you are, that is your world. Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it, because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care and talk to you soon. Some eats hash browns, 
some creeps. There ain't a dime's bit of difference between left and right. If you got a stick of candy, everybody wants a bite. We're all alike. We're all alike. We all know the difference between wrong and right. We all put the baby in the cradle at night. We all need love. That's all right, we're all alive. Black man, white man, Muslim and Jew, walk into a bar and say, How do you do? Along comes a Baptist and a young Hindu. They have a couple drinks, sing a couple songs. The proof's in the pudding, we can all get along. We're all So we do the hokey pokey cause that's what it's all about We take a trip to Canada or Kathmandu Where they laugh and they cry and they walk like you must understand that it might be the fire or the frying pan but we can make it all better if we get together with an open heart and a willing hand we're all alike we're all alike we all know the difference between wrong and right we all put the baby in the cradle at night we all need love and that's all right